Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, this week it was uh, pretty uh, exciting to be Catholic in that Pope Benedict's funeral was on everything. It was in the news, it was on every single Catholic thing online you could imagine, and he died at 95 years old. And what many of you may not know about Pope Benedict is he was arguably one of the most intelligent men in the whole world. Atheists interviewed him and talked with him, other world religions. He was a brilliant scholar, not just of theology, but of philosophy, politics, human nature, Uh, things of this nature. And so anytime he wrote on something or spoke, people who not just come to church, but who didn't even go to church, were very interested in what he had to say because he was so insightful and so brilliant. In fact, there's a lot of famous books out there, uh, several that are him engaging with atheists, having these very meaningful conversations about what it means to be human. Where do we go forward from here? Is there any chance at unity again? He, He would engage questions with a remarkable openness. And that was the mark of Pope Benedict. He said, as believers, we don't possess a truth. We are possessed by truth itself. And therefore, we're constantly open to wherever truth shows up. And so he modeled that by not being walled off in simplistic categories of being on the right or on the left or being this person or that. He was very open. He wanted to learn from everyone and not just learn neat ideas, but to really engage, is this real? Is this true, what you're saying? And then keep that openness to invite others to the same thing. Early on in his pontificate, he wrote three books on Jesus, simply called Jesus of Nazareth. The smallest of the three, uh, which is where I began because it was the smallest, right? it also had to do with Advent and Christmas. He has a whole chapter in there on the Feast of the Epiphany and the wise men, or the three kings, and why we have these three characters. Is it wise men, or is it kings? And what is this star? And he engages in all these great reflections using scripture, history, reason, to understand what might God be saying to us through the scripture. But one of the points he makes often about the three wise men, or the three kings from the east, is that they were in touch with a restlessness that so many of us have been anesthetized to. By anesthetized, right, I just mean numb. That they were in touch with what this rumbling deep within us that makes us human. That we want more out of life. We want better. We want greater. We want more satisfying. We want more peace, more love. No one has a great moment with a loved one and says, I'm set now. I don't need anything else in life. In fact, quite the opposite. We then want more of it. It was such a good time with friends and love. We want more, more beauty, more justice. They were in touch with this place within us. And he said it's because they were in touch with it that they could be moved or interested in a star. That the reason they were open to what this star might be leading to is they knew they weren't content that they weren't satisfied with life. They knew their hunger for more 
wasn't the problem, but rather the invitation to a journey. Yesterday, I gave a talk at the Diocesan Youth Conference. A couple of our young people were there, and I quoted Pope Benedict saying this, we're all on a journey, a journey into the future. And every one of us wants to find the right path. All eight billion people, Christians, Catholics, Orthodox, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, atheists, witches, Satanists, we're all on this journey into a future because we're all human. And we all want the right path because none of us want our journey to end in a desert. None of us want the journey to end useless. We don't want the last hour of our life to be full of regrets saying, my life was a failure. No one wants to be on their deathbed saying, I did it all wrong. I'm plagued with nothing but regrets and shame. He says, what we're all looking for, this is Pope Benedict, is the true life. The one that Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So the wise men on this Epiphany Sunday were in touch with this part of our humanity, that we're looking for something more. So what do we see? Well, it's funny, I was meditating this whole week on the word epiphany, because whenever you and I use the word, it has to do with an idea. Ah, I'll call you on the phone, I said, I had an epiphany last night. And you're usually like, oh, I had some sort of insight or realization I'm going to share with you. But God's epiphany isn't an idea, it's flesh. God's manifestation to the world, the epiphany, didn't come through more teachers talking at us. It came in a human body, the body of a man in the first century known as Jesus. He is the epiphany, which means God's manifestation to the world, to everybody, isn't something spiritual and out there in a secular sense, but a biblical sense of spiritual, meaning it is embodied, it's enfleshed. God was born at a particular place at a particular time. We can go there. We can see it. It's that concrete. It's that tangible. The epiphany of God is not some sort of abstract idea. Rather, it's something you and I can see, can touch, can taste, can participate in. In fact, in 1 John, the letters in the Bible, right after Paul's letters, 1 John, he said, what we write to you is concerning the word of life. What we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched. This is what makes Christianity so weird compared to other religions. We are the most sensual. Meaning our experience and encounter and participation of God involves our bodies. Your body and mine is involved in our experiences of God. God is pure spirit, but he made us with a body. And then, he then comes to us in the body of Jesus to speak to our bodies, to give us the hope of a resurrection of a body so that we can share with him in the infinite life and love of eternity forever in, through, and with our resurrected and glorified bodies. And then what happens is you and I say, oh, that's awesome, and then we try to go out and get a quote-unquote spiritual life. Now, there's a right and wrong way to understand spiritual life. Or I'll say there's a biblical and Christian way 
and there's a non-Christian way. The Christian understanding of spiritual life is cracking open that place within us that's longing for life, love, beauty, with endless joy, that infinite, what the wise men were in touch with, taking that into prayer, taking that into our worship, opening it up to the infinite one to fill us. That's spiritual life. It's our humanity as male and female open to God to say, fill me. False spiritual life is where we take our humanity and put it over there, the real life, and then we come and talk about pious things over here. That's not the Christian notion. The Christian notion is that our real life with our hopes, dreams, longings, also our pain, confusion, regret, is open to the Lord, that he can encounter us. How? Actually, physically. Today, you heard in your eardrums vibrating the word of God being spoken to you. The scriptures were proclaimed, and you heard it in and through your body. It wasn't some weird thing where we just looked at each other in silence and said, hmm. We actually heard human words that God, through the Holy Spirit, promised would convey his message to us. Then, in a little bit, you and I are going to eat the very body of Jesus Christ. Not a symbol, not a nice idea. We believe it is being transformed miraculously at every Mass into the body, blood, and soul identity of Jesus so that the infinite one can be housed in something finite so that he can meet us in our embodiment as men and women and help us to grow in our real human life. The epiphany is precisely this, that every body is some body to God. And that every body can participate in his body through the body of Christ and become the body of Christ for the world. That is the Epiphany Sunday. It's that in flesh. It's that embodied. Now, I'm 39 years old, okay? I'll be 40 in a couple months. And my mom is 75 or 70, she's be 76 in a few weeks. She lets me know that the older you get, the less you want to hear about your body. (laughs) So let me say this, to quote another pope, Pope St. John Paul II. He said he was walking around the Roman gardens. There's a place in Rome where all the ancient statues are built. And he said he was spending hours there seeing these beautifully carved bodies of male and female and everything they were saying. And he said, with great effort, I tried to enter in at what were these artists trying to capture? And he said, what he realized every artist was trying to capture was the glory of the human body shown to us on Easter Sunday, the resurrection of our bodies. He says, but what the culture and world doesn't want to do is go through the agony of the body. We want the glory, we don't want the agony. We want Easter Sunday, we don't want Good Friday. We love the idea of a Jesus who's all-powerful, loving, and good. We don't like the part of the gospel where that means we have to repent, humble ourselves, forgive our enemies, and acknowledge that there's something called truth, and it dictates how we're meant to live. We just want all the good stuff. We're like children. We want dessert, we don't want vegetables. But guess what? Children are so easy to love. And so even in our brokenness, 
even when we are rebellious, God still loves us and says, I will only come to you in the way I created you, through embodied ways, through words, through sacraments, through coming together, moving our bodies into a location as the body of Christ and worshiping God, not in stillness and silence, but through human voice, food, words, handshakes at the sign of peace, hellos and goodbyes. Through all of it, we are manifesting and showing an epiphany to the world that we are part of God's family. And he made us his family, not through pious thinking, but through the waters of baptism. And he nourishes us in his family through the Eucharist. And when we mess it all up because we are rebellious little children, he meets us again in the confessional to hear human words speaking spiritual realities that now you are forgiven. Now you can come back to the table and get even more power to live in the beauty that all men and women, everybody is somebody to God. Amen.